Amen. Father, we are so thankful to be yours. We thank you that we come to a faithful Father who is true, who is present, and who is always available. Lord, and we as a people, as a body, we enter boldly into your throne room of grace, thanking you for the provision of this access to you by the blood of Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would bless this time. Lord, that you would anoint your word, that you would bless these discussion groups, and that you would be glorified. Lord, as we take some time just to pause in our week and to adore you, to learn more of your word, would you disciple us? Would you read us as we read your word and lead us in the way everlasting? We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and say, amen. You may have a seat. Amen. Amen. What a beautiful time of worship. Thank you, Joe and Pete. Praise the Lord for you guys. Man, have you guys been loving our focus groups? They've been amazing, right? They've been so amazing. Um, My name is Pastor Aaron with Pastor Tyler. I help oversee the student ministries, which is the young adults, the high school, and the middle school group. And we're so thankful to be a part of a church who invests in the young people's lives and who give us a a platform to share. And part of that, uh, and part of our training is Rob has given us some opportunities to teach from the pulpit. And I'm so humbled and privileged to be with you this evening. We're going to continue our study in the book of Galatians. So please open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. And I'll remind you, um, if you're joining us for the first time tonight or online, welcome. Our focus Wednesdays are to help us with the vision of going deep and wide. You know, earlier in this year, the Lord gave Pastor Rob, our lead pastor, two words, go deep and then go wide. So as we go deep with Jesus, He'll give us the influence and the accessibility to go wide in our influence for Jesus. And so as we go deep, we'll look at the scriptures together, and then we're going to go in our circles and discuss these things. And I love how Pastor Rob says that, you know, we learn in rows and connect in circles. So we're going to do that. We're going to learn in rows tonight in the book of Galatians chapter 2, and then we're going to connect in circles. So let us read... Our passage today, and it's going to be in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 21. We'll read this. I'll pray once again, and we'll get into our study, and then we'll get into our discussion groups. So Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, I'm reading from the New King James Version. And the Holy Word of God says this. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy." But when I, that's Paul, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, 
Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. But if, verse 17, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. A prayer once more. Father, what we know not, would you teach us? What we have not, would you give us? And what um, we are not, would you make us for your glory? I pray, Jesus, be with us in this time. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us all with your spirit, that we may be able to discern your voice and to know your heart. We thank you, Jesus, for your word. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and say, amen, amen. Amen. Well, we know in our study in the book of Galatians that this is a letter written by Pastor Paul. And this was a letter written to the churches in the region of Galatia, which is now modern-day Turkey. So it's not a specific church, but an area group of churches that this letter was written to. And one of the major themes of this letter is that we are set free in Christ to live freely for Christ. We are set free in Christ to live freely for Christ. And Paul writes this letter to combat false teachings and accusations from teachers against his calling into the ministry as an apostle of Jesus Christ. You see, if these false teachers could make an accusation against him, then they had room to accuse the message that God had given them of the simple gospel. These false teachers were saying that Jesus is good, but he's not enough. They were teaching Jesus plus The Old Testament law and rituals and traditions equal salvation, where the simple gospel given by God to Paul is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. As we continue to study this letter, we come to a point in this letter where Paul not only asserts his calling by God in defense to the false teachers, he also asserts himself to the church as a whole by confronting Pastor Peter one of the main pillars of the early church. To help us in our study, we want to look at two things and end with an application. The first thing in verses 11 to 14, the first part of 14, is Peter and Paul's confrontation. Confrontation. Who likes confrontation? Raise your hand. Ooh, there's some people that like confrontation. It's good. You know, in my Filipino culture, confrontation is a no-no, right? You put on the bravest face even if you hate the person you're talking to, and then when you're back at home, then you unleash it all, right? (laughs) But biblical confrontation is something that we need to navigate through, and this is a, a really interesting passage because we get to see Paul confronting Peter and learn a little bit about what that looks like. And then also, our second point, we're going to look at Paul and Peter's conversation. So as Paul is confronting Peter, we get to learn some theology, some insight to God's heart in their conversation, and it's really, really rich and deep, and I hope that in our study groups together, in our discussion groups, you guys can go even deeper. And then we'll end with application, of course, because the Word of God is not just to fill us up and make us fat for the slaughter, right? No, it's to to fill us up so that we can be poured out for His glory. 
And tonight I'm so thankful again for the word of God because in Romans chapter 15 verse 4 it says, For the things that were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And the book of Galatians gives me hope because it says that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. My hope and my assurance of salvation is just in Jesus. And we can overcomplicate things, right? We can make it about ourselves. We can make it about what we do and instead of whose we are. And the book of Galatians is, hey, you're set free from all of that. You're set free to live freely for Christ. So let's dive in this together. Let's read again verses 11 to 14a, Peter and Paul's confrontation. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For a certain men came from James, he would eat with them. Um, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, let's stop right there. This takes place in Antioch, which is Paul's home church. This is his, his, uh, his home turf right here his home church where he's been ministering. And Peter is coming now to visit him in Antioch. And the verbiage here is pretty intense. It says, when he came to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. This Greek phrase is to be hostile towards, to resist, to set against. It's really to stand your ground, roll up, roll back your shoulders and get ready to fight. So this is Paul gearing up to confront Peter. And this is a showdown. No doubt, Paul had some doubts that he had to wrestle through. Am I spiritual enough to do this? I mean, I was a persecutor of the church, and, and Peter is used by God to really birth the early church. Am I really able to do this? You can almost hear maybe the dialogue that he had been thinking. Peter was one of the early church pillars. He was a key leader in the movement of the early church. He was used by God to help birth the early church. We see that in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4. And now he's being confronted by the newer guy on the block, Paul. The one who had a testimony of persecuting and killing Christians. Could you imagine this scene? And notice that this was a public rebuke. Paul said this before everybody Commentators say they were eating a dinner and, and even sharing in communion when this had happened. Could you imagine your dinner being disrupted? Paul comes in and he's confronting Peter. It's just like, <gasps> you know what I mean? They're like, oh my goodness, what is going on? This could have been so, so awkward. Paul could have ignored the problem. You know, he, he could have made an excuse, I'm not good enough, or I'm not spiritual enough to address this issue, so I'll just let someone else handle it. Or, or Paul could have seen what was happening, even though Peter's actions were unacceptable, and he could have even compromised the truth and went along with it. But I believe out of a love for God, for Jesus, and for Peter, and for Barnabas, and the rest of the people who were present, Paul confronted Peter. Out of a love for all of them in the room, he knew that what was, being going, what was going on was not right, so he stepped in to bring that correction. And I'm reminded that as I look into this, that tough love is still love. Sometimes we think, I love that person, so I'm not going to offend them. But tough love is still love. I, I, I love this verse in Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. 
Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I'm so thankful for the men and women uh, of God that have been used by God to call me out and to call me up in my sanctification process. You know, we're, we're all people in process, trying to help people in process, and, and we don't have it all going on, right? Paul would say, I haven't been perfected, but I press on that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So if Paul... <laughs> the one who was writing most, uh, you know, most of the New Testament. If he wasn't perfected, we can't expect ourselves or the people that we're around to be perfected. And, and how does God perfect us? Well, through his sanctifying spirit, but also it's through the body of Christ to call out those blind spots out in love. Paul confronted Peter because he was in the wrong. Through his actions, Peter was convicted of not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. You see, Peter would be eaten with the Gentiles. He would, have been, he would have been having fellowship over a meal with the Gentiles, which is a very intimate thing. It's saying, you are my family. He'd be taking communion with the Gentile believers. But when these people came, that, that came from James, another church leader, he respected their, their eliteness. And when they came, he would withdraw from the Gentiles. And he would now just eat with those people symbolizing that they're not a part of the family because they don't keep the law like you guys. Uh, I I can't really be around them because they're not of the circumcision. We're a part of the in-group. And Paul is seeing this, and out of love, he's addressing the issue. So notice the reason for the confrontation. Through his Peter, uh, through his actions, Peter was saying that, uh, uh, Peter was compromising the truth of the gospel. Look at, Paul says this, in verse 12, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, this word being uh, not straightforward about the truth of the gospel can be translated, they were not walking with straightforward steps in regards to the gospel, or in other words, their walk did not match their talk. You know, Peter was preaching and proclaiming and saying one thing, that Jesus is Lord, that you don't have to keep the law in order to be saved, but his actions did not support his claims. The issue was that Peter was being a hypocrite. Peter preached that salvation was only found in Jesus, but through his actions was declaring that Gentiles still needed to uphold Jewish law and traditions in order to be saved and be accepted into the family of God. But notice the root of Peter's hypocrisy. There's a key phrase here. Fearing those who are of the circumcision. Peter, this pillar of the early church, he fell into the trap of the fear of man over the fear of God. He fell into the trap of the fear of man over the fear of God. And I'm reminded by Proverbs 29, verse 25. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man is a snare, it's a trap. But those who trust in the Lord, they are safe. You see, Peter was more concerned with how the Jewish men that came from James thought about his reputation over the truth of the simple gospel. The simple gospel message that is that salvation is for all men, and it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Again, Peter would have communion and eat with the Gentile believers, but when these people came, he would withdraw himself from that crowd and eat with these people. And, and the early church is looking at this, and they must have been confused because look at this. Peter's hypocrisy did not just affect himself, but others as well. 
verse 13, it says, And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas, his good buddy in the ministry, was carried away with their hypocrisy. Have you ever been offended by a friend or disappointed by a friend? Yeah. Have you ever been disappointed by a friend or, 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 or let down by a friend who is in the body of Christ? Doesn't it hurt just a little bit more because they know better? It's like we sat in the same sermons together. We were in the same meetings together. How could you be doing this? You should know better. It, it, it hurts. You know, if it's coming from just a casual acquaintance, yeah, it hurts. But when it's coming from inside, oh man, that hurts our heart. And how crafty the devil is, right? That if he can't win from outside, he will cause a root of bitterness from inside. Watch out for that. Paul would later write in Galatians chapter 5, verse 9, just a little leaven, it will leaven the whole lump. I'm aware um, in this past season, in, in the internship, uh, we have seven interns are, that are kind of looking to Tyler and I for direction, and we have the youth students who are looking for us for direction, and I'm being made more and more aware that the things that we say and do are amplified. All the eyes are really on us. And, and really, if you hold any influence as a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, an educator, wherever platform you have, you have an influence and I'm, I'm really scared of this quote because it says this, that the sins of the teacher are teachers of sin. I've heard it said that the sins of the teacher are teachers of sin. That what we do and, and the way that we sin actually teach other people how to sin. And no, oh my gosh, what a big responsibility. But can you see the grace of God? That even though he knows that Peter would mess up, still gave him a platform and the amazing grace of God that even though we were all blasphemers have given us the truth of the gospel to take to a dying world, I am so thankful for the amazing grace of God. But see this, that even Barnabas, Paul's best friend in the ministry, was led astray. Peter and Barnabas, they both knew better, but they let their fear of man dictate their actions over the fear of the Lord. My, my mom always says this, your actions speak louder than words, Aaron, Right? I can be very moody in a conversation. I wear things on my face. I'm like, you know, I have these, God gave me these thick eyebrows, right? So they're really expressive. And so I have to be so aware that my actions speak louder than my words because earlier on in the ministry, we would do some counseling, right? And things in counseling get pretty intense. And I love that because God's doing a work, you know? So people are messy, sin is messy, and things happen. And I was in a, a counseling meeting with a buddy, and he said, Aaron, you have to watch your face. I'm like, why? What, did I have something on my face? And he's like, no. But when they're sharing, you're like this. You're like, you're, 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 like, you're wearing all your emotions on your face, and it's causing them not to open up or to share because you're, you're almost looking like you're embarrassed of them. I'm like, oh my gosh, these cursed eyebrows, you know? But our actions speak louder than words, Peter's Barnabas, their actions spoke to the Gentile church that they were not accepted until they would uphold the Jewish law. Some biblical principles that we can take from this confrontation is that confrontation is hard, but it is necessary. And in your groups, you're going to learn a little bit more about the biblical process that Jesus maps out in confrontation. But confrontation is hard, but it is necessary. And just a side encouragement is that we're all people in process trying to help people in process. We can have grace and patience for those that we're confronting because we, we haven't arrived just yet either. 
And I love that God uses the body of Christ to build each other up. And a lot of that building is calling out other people's blind spots. And again, in, in, in the whole confrontation thing, the heart of confrontation is always restoration, right? The heart of confrontation is always restoration. If you're just the person to point, 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 and not be about their building back up process, maybe you need to pray and think about how that, that conversation should go. Maybe you should hold on to that conversation until you get really received from the Lord on how you can restore them back into Christ-likeness. So we look at this confrontation. Now we're going to get some insight into this conversation really, really quick. In verses 14b, uh, the end of 14 to 21, I'll read this again very quickly and then we'll get into this. If you, this is Paul's conversation with Peter, if you, Peter, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews... Why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not, for if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I, I, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. In verses 14 and 15, Paul is reminding Peter about the truth of the simple gospel, and he's using Peter's own life as an example. He's saying, in Christ, the playing field is even. There's no difference if you're born a Jew or you're born a Gentile. You can't be saved from the wrath of God or justified by keeping the law. Hey, you're, you're a Jew, Peter, and these are Gentiles, but you have to believe and they have to believe. We're all the same. What is the difference? Why are you being partial in your fellowship with these guys? Paul is reminding Peter that you can't save yourself just as the Gentiles can't save themselves. No one can save themselves by keeping the law. It's only by simple faith alone, through grace alone, right, in Christ alone that brings justification. So if Peter, a Jew, couldn't save himself, then why would Peter tell the Gentiles that they needed to go back to the law in order to save themselves? He says, he says this again in verse 16, knowing, you know this, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We've both believed, Peter, you and I, in, in Jesus Christ. This is how we're justified. We're justified by faith in Christ, not by the works. Don't tell them to go back to the law. Don't tell them to get circumcised. Don't be partial in your fellowship saying that they're not a part of the family of God because they're not going to be justified. No one is justified by the works of the law. No flesh shall be justified. And I'm reminded again that this is a key theme, justification by faith alone in Christ alone, empowered by grace alone. Uh, and justification, what does it mean? Well, it's the act of being uh, declared and made righteous in the sight of God. I love the definition. Just think, just as if I'd never sinned, but also just as if I've always obeyed. And this is the justification that we receive when we have simple faith in Jesus Christ. It's not what we do or don't do or say or don't say. It's simple faith in the death, uh, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
just as if I've never sinned. That's how God sees me, just as if I've never sinned and just as like, or just as if I've always obeyed. I, I really love that. Verse 17 can get a little tricky in the New King James Version, but I'll read it in the NLT. He says this in his conversation to Peter, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. So the implication is this, that that some were saying, hey, look, you messed up. You're not perfect. That means you're following the wrong path, which means that you need more than just Jesus. You need to go back to the law in order to be righteous. And so we know this. We know that as Christians, we're justified at the moment of salvation, but we still have a process of sanctification until we reach heaven and then we're, we're glorified, right? That, that work of glorification in our life. And so it brings up some good points here that I want to address here. We're, we're justified when we surrender to Jesus. We're declared righteous, just as if I've never sinned, just as if I've always obeyed. We're declared righteous when we surrender to Jesus, but we're not sinless, the process of uh, uh, sanctification is that we're not sinless, but we're sinning less, right? And this is the process of sanctification. It's the process in which we are being more and more transformed to the heart and character of God. And one day, talking about glorification, we will be fully glorified. When we stand before God face to face, we'll be given glorified bodies that we'll be able to behold the full holiness of God and not be tempted by any and all sin, so the people were saying, hey, you're messing up. You abandoned the law and you're messing up. So, so Jesus isn't good enough. You need to go back to the law to be, in order to be restored. And, and therefore, Christ is leading you into sin. And Paul says, certainly not. This is the strongest negative he's given. He says, certainly not. Christ is not a minister. Christ is not a servant of sin. No, 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 no. He says this, I would be the sinner if I go back to the law. If I build again that which I have dis- previously destroyed, I am the sinner here. He says this in verse 18. He's responding, uh, Jesus is not the reason for him falling into sin. The sin would be him for him to go back to the law. In verse 19, we read this, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. So Paul tells, tells Peter it wouldn't just be a sin to go back to the law, but he couldn't go back to the law. Why? Because he was dead to the law. I can't build it back up. I can't go back. Why? Because I'm, I'm just dead to it. And how did Paul die to the law? Well, he explains that he and all of us that would place simple faith in Jesus have actually died with Christ on the cross. That when we say yes to Jesus, we're saying, Lord, I've been crucified with you. My old life has been buried with you, and now I live in the resurrection power with you and for you. I believe here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, is the believer's daily reality and challenge. In his conversation, we're we're given so much theology that our salvation actually um, identifies us with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. He says, "I've, I've been crucified with Christ. I can't go back to the law. I'm dead to the law. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the believer's daily reality. We are crucified with Christ. But it's also our daily challenge and our sanctification. Are we going to choose to be identified with his death and live the life for him, led by him, empowered by him? 
You know, I'm thinking about this passage and I'm like, so what would it look like? What does it look like to live a crucified life? And I have four things that I'll share real quickly before we break them to our groups. Four things, the four marks of a crucified life. Number one is surrender of self, surrender of self-lordship unto Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm not living anymore. My old selfishness is not living anymore. It's, It's surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. Number two, the mark of a crucified life, it's, it's a life of faith in Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith. Faith. There's always going to be an exercise of faith in the Christian life. Why? Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. Why do we exist? To please him. So there's always going to be an aspect of faith that we have to believe in. So a mark of a crucified life, number one, surrender of self-lordship unto Jesus. Number two, a life of faith in Jesus. Number three, a life empowered by the grace of God. Look at this, number three in verse 21, verse, I do not set aside the grace of God. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. The third mark of a crucified life is a life empowered sustained and governed by the grace of God. And quickly, number four, the mark of a crucified life is a life that preaches the gospel to themselves. Look again in verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Paul's mind as he's talking with, uh, with Peter is that this is the gospel. I can't forget the gospel. I can't, I can't not preach the gospel to myself. If, if, if it wasn't for the gospel, then Christ died in vain. What are we doing? I'm understanding more and more that being crucified with Christ is a past reality that requires today's obedience. I already have been crucified with Christ. But am I going to choose to live in obedience to his life through me? Being crucified with Christ is a past reality that requires today's obedience. So wrapping up, I want to quickly talk about application because I I know some of you guys, you guys head out and don't go into the groups. And I want to encourage you guys, if you're you're that, if you're doing that, um, stick around and stick with a group. And if you've never been a part of a group, you can just join in a group where there's empty chairs. There's in in the hallways, there's um, circle groups. So just just join one. But uh, just application quickly. We see that Paul confronted Peter in regards to his hypocrisy. We have Jesus, the greater than Paul, by the Holy Spirit sanctifying us every day. I want to ask you this. What areas of hypocrisy might the Lord be pointing out in your life? And how will you, and how will you respond? The implication is that Peter responded favorably because we have First and Second Peter, right? He, wasn't, he, didn't, he didn't abandon the ministry. He wasn't called out, but he, he continued to, uh, to serve Jesus, what areas of hypocrisy might the Lord be pointed out in your life and how will you respond? And, and number two, second application, Paul declared that his life was no longer his own. This is a heavy truth. Question is, how might you better respond or how might you better remind yourself of this truth to better walk with him? How can you remind yourself today, tomorrow? I'm not my own. I live for him. I, I'm crucified with Christ. Is it a reminder on your phone? Is it telling a buddy, hey, call me tomorrow because I know myself after this. I'm tired. I'm going to fall into sin. Can you call me and just remind me that I'm not my own, that I belong to Jesus? How might you better remind yourself of this truth to better walk this truth? I'm going to pray, and then we'll break up into our focus groups. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you how it reads us. Thank you for this example of confrontation, Lord. Thank you for confronting us 
and, uh, and for sanctifying us. I pray in our circle groups you would give us wisdom and guidance. Lord, would through, would through the wisdom shared in the groups sanctify us? And would we build each other up? Would we be open and vulnerable to receiving healing as you reveal the depths of our hearts? Uh, thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your grace. Empower each leader and co-leader to lead well. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and say, amen. Amen. amen.